Hi, I'm Yade. I'm a writer, curator, and community educator. I'm also the founder of Decolonize the Art World, an online anti-colonial art theory school, and a lot of my work is around indigenous African invention. So for Decorating Dissidents, I'm recording a podcast on African fashion and adornment and luxury and just a number of things. I'm talking to a really incredible person, Ikuya Kwakwa, um, who can introduce herself now. Hi, um, thank you for the intro. Um, my name is Akuya. I studied fashion management at Cornell University. Uh, I haven't done nearly as much as Ya has done, but I am really interested in what she is doing. And I think it's, it's a good, I'm really excited to be doing this and to be getting to speak more about this on a, on a podcast. So yeah. Yes. So first off, and I've told you this before, but I'm always fangirling your Instagram posts and you have a fashion, you have a fashion podcast. Um, and I also involved with brainwash media and writing about fashion, um, and yeah. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to know what your earliest memories of dressing yourself are. This is, this is a really good question. And it's a really, like, it's also a really difficult question because, because it's become so important now. I wonder if, like, my, my emotions about it now have kind of, blocked out times where it wasn't as important to me but I think my first memories of getting dressed in a really intentional way were probably when I was living in South Africa I lived there for I think seven years Mm. and when I was getting dressed in my school uniform but I had an extra school uniform that was too small and so I cut a strip of the skirt and made it into a bow for my hair Mm. and so I think that was the first Like that was my first feeling of making something for myself and creating an outfit that kind of fit into what I was supposed to be wearing, i.e. a uniform, but also was very much mine and was like my creative product, I think. Yes, recycling. (laughs) Yes, I was I was I was ahead of the curve. No, I'm kidding. Wow. Yeah, that was probably my first thing I can remember. And living in South Africa, also being Ghanaian and Jamaican, how would you say your cultural background, if at all, has influenced your notions of beauty and fashion? Mm -hmm. I think in a way I had to live outside of, I only really started coming into my identity in terms of fashion in when I moved to Ghana. Mm -hmm. So in 2010, um, and I think I, I really came into it a little bit more after leaving, just because you got you kind of get a, a view from a distance of what you're like, you know, you move out of something and you're like, oh, that was actually there are actually things that I can see now that influence my life even when I'm not there. Mm. So I think they've influenced me in the way that I feel clothes clothes in Ghana specifically always have a really always have meaning to them mm-hmm. and so I think I've carried that specific aspect into my life throughout so now when I have clothes even the clothes that I bought um from regular retailers or gotten from friends I remember the stories 
but you were you were talking about how when you moved to Ghana and how clothes all had meaning mm-hmm. um, and how that like how that played mm-hmm. out for you yeah I think yeah I think that's one thing that my I think for that the culture of your clothes being having meaning is what stayed with me and what what I can really look back at from Ghanaian culture that I can say affects my style yes um I also, I, I definitely have taken this for granted and I realized that when I went to the U.S. for college, but just the the culture of um, seamstresses, having seamstresses and, and, and tailors and a lot of clothes being um, custom made and, and, um, yeah. and also when someone, even like for funerals, for weddings, for even um, high school events, there would be special cloth that would then be turned into something. And I feel like in the U.S., much in the U.S. Like just, and in, in the West, um, there is this idea that custom-made things are usually mm-hmm. like very luxury. It's very reserved. Mm-hmm. Like it's a huge deal. Even I remember trying to see a tailor like to fix something. It was like hundreds of dollars. I was like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> this is something else. And whereas like in Ghana, partly because, you know, clothing ready they're not as many clothes like clothing shops where you could get um what's the word like ready made especially if they're imported and Mm -hmm. incredibly expensive so it is even cheaper to work with someone to get your clothes made and go to um a fabric store and and having moved back to ghana like a year ago um Mm -hmm. i mean now there is better delivery you can you can't technically order things online and they will get here, even if it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really make sense to me, especially with how many Ghanaian designers there are and also the fact that you can um, make clothes. And so I there's more and more this language of slow fashion and sustainability, but in a way mm-hmm. that has been being practiced for quite some time here. And I when I want like a jumpsuit, I really, really have to want it because now I have to go to Makola and I have to find the fabric yeah. and I have mm-hmm. to buy it and then I have to go to the seamstress and show her the design. And it's also beautiful how um, I am not, I have no sort of fashion um, <laughs> skills, like, oh, like, <laughs> but I, I and, and everyone, like, in a way is being a designer is not an exclusive role. Mm. Um, there, there is that mm-hmm. possibility for um, an, a non-fashion yeah, designer to still have authority or an agency over what it is that they wear. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think in that way, it feels almost kind of like the design of public spaces Ooh. in a way, in a, in a way that that's supposed to be very democratized in terms of it's supposed to be when you design public spaces, you're designing them for a lot of people for it to work for a lot of people. So in the same way, I guess the fact that you're designing something that will work for yourself, like you're not allowing other people, you get to decide that and you get to decide what, you know, do you want pockets? Do you want them to be higher up? Do you want a zip? Do you want buttons? So I think that's, I think that's so true to get to have agency over what you wear. Yes. And, um, I have been listening to your podcast a lot and really love it. (laughs) 
And um, you had an episode both on, on Telfar and, and on African luxury that was looking more into even how we define luxury because that's a word that has mm-hmm. been um, being used a lot, especially this um, season of time. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so I want to ask, how do you define luxury and how do you understand the way that we assign value to what we wear? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's something that for me even is always changing. I think even between the two episodes that you're talking about, the African luxury episode and the Telfar episode, which I think came after even hearing, hearing other people's perspectives on luxury. Also, I also allow them to influence my own. I think luxury to me is something that you really covet. It doesn't, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean it's an expensive thing and that doesn't mean it's a rare thing. But if I have been looking at a specific pair of boots from a specific brand and I've been really wanting them for a long time, I've been thinking about what they're, what I'm going to wear them with and when I'm going to buy them and what's going to be my first outing when I wear them. I think when, when I acquire that item, I think for me that, that feels like luxury. Mm. I don't know if that's a good, I don't know if that's, that's what I, a definition I would put in a dictionary specifically because then you, I don't know, but I think for me, what I would call luxury is is the the idea of of yearning for something and then having it for yourself. Yes, I love that, like yeah. yearning and also desire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so much of like what you what makes you feel good and what gives mm-hmm. you pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a way that also allows it to be contextualized for different people because not everyone cares about you know a traditional definition of luxury is a, a louis vuitton bag or not every that doesn't hold value for everyone so i think by having it uh, have a definition that requires each each individual's you know desires i think that makes it a, a better and more useful definition yes and and especially like in a in a west african context um luxury and what I've observed is so much, so, so like entangled with um, mm. drama, <laughs> sort of dramatic, mm-hmm. sort of big, like adornment, just like very, or at, at least for me, like on a personal level, when I daydream mm-hmm. about, you know, being in my 40s, just looking so mm-hmm. good, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm wearing a ghillie which is just, you know, immaculate, mm-hmm. like immaculate yeah. and there's like a huge boo-boo and, you know, mm-hmm. like the slippers are on point, just, just huge. Like you can't, if you sit next to me, you'll be taking up space from my dress. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and that's very much like the African auntie, um, luxury mm-hmm. is just, is just, there's something about that I really admire and I see not just in a West African context, but all throughout the black diaspora is this, like even mm-hmm. with, um, gold chains and gold is also a huge thing in the Shanta culture and, um, hair, like braids and just like very yeah. intricate and, um, and, but also things that take up space, um, taking up space mm. in the way that you, in what you wear and how you present, um, more recently, I've been doing research on, or trying to do research on indigenous African fashion. And mm-hmm. um, there's so little that I've been able to find online. It's really seeming like something I'll have to 
um, go out and interview people and ask questions about, but specifically gold because of how, how abundant gold was in the Ashanti kingdom and it being used for everything from weapons to, um, jewelry to shoes. I have been wondering mm-hmm. what, if there were any like spiritual qualities of gold as well. Like what, mm-hmm. what did it mean aside from its aesthetic value and it being shiny? What did it mean mm-hmm. and what did it do for people? Because, um, I'm not sure if you've seen like in those historical images of like, particularly like West African warriors, mm-hmm. they'll be wearing like a smock and in the smock, there's like a little pockets, little, little mm-hmm. squares. Have you seen, do you know um, what I'm talking yeah. about? Yes. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. And I remember learning that those little squares were like protection amulets. They're, mm-hmm. they're really regal, um, but yeah, they, they served a purpose. They were also for protection. And similarly, Yuji traditional healers, how they have white body paints around their eyes mm-hmm. that that was mm-hmm. like a like help to help you see through the spirit world. So there's all these ways that also how you present, what you wear, how you adorn yourself has is has not only aesthetic um mm-hmm. value but also like functional has a functional purpose. Um yeah. And yeah, I'm interested in, in learning more about that, but not entirely sure where to look um <laughs> but yeah 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 no that's interesting i think yeah no that's that's i it sounds it's really cool to think about it that way because i think a lot of the time and i think sometimes like we gravitate like i know i gravitate towards gold jewelry without even knowing what it is like what it what it is about it that draws me you know so it probably is some kind of relevance there, like some kind of spiritual background to it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's also in the context of our history, um, which more recently I've been thinking about less as history of art, which is how we're sort of defined in academia and more of like the history of the world as constructed by artists, um, Mm. because that opens up a lot more, it opens up a lot more avenues. Um, I, I've also been thinking about then what, what kind of histories does fashion hold and what kind of futures does fashion make? And, um, yeah, I, I, a lot of the time in the art world, um, this idea of arts being both aesthetic and functional is credited to Duchamp and other white data is people working during that time um, mm-hmm. for bringing that to life. But that has always been a core principle of indigenous African cultural thoughts and arts. And that has not only has it been a core principle, it's actually been why ancestral African arts has not been allowed to be called arts because it's like, this is not art, it's an object or it's an artifact. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Duchamp does it and it's like, okay, now it's arts and, and we're going to mm-hmm. like allow for it to, to go on. Um, so, okay, we lost a statement, but a question in that is how do you, how do you see fashion creating worlds? Like what is its purpose mm-hmm. in like creating a different future, especially in this, during this time? Mm-hmm. I think that's really, I think especially in this time is a good, like 
tack on to add to that because I think fashion and new world, I think such a good question. <laughs> I think fashion fashion's role will be I think fashion has always had a couple roles. I think one fashion has always been a little bit of an escape mm. and I think it it will continue to function in that way just because as we we all know there's a lot of there's racism, there's you know people being limited access to things. There's a lot of bad things happening. I think fashion will always be an escape in one sense. I think in terms of creating a new world, I think fashion will be a place where a place that will allow more access for people who haven't had access before. I think in the I don't know. I think people will people will start to appreciate yeah, people people tend to appreciate, I think, minority communities, black and brown communities, Asian communities do get more, are, are being allowed to have more space in fashion. And I think in, in them having more space in fashion, they can create new worlds that, they can introduce us to things that we don't really, we haven't really seen before. I think fashion is a good gateway almost in a sense to to learning about culture and i think by having more diversity within fashion i think the new world that's created is a world where we're more curious about other people's lived realities and we're more curious about other people's histories Hmm. yes it does i think especially with um yeah i think black and brown and minority by poc communities have always um, brought more of their selves to the table. And so I think in fashion where, where we're allowed to have more access and in, in doing so allowed to bring more of ourselves to the table and bring more of what we know to the table, I think it just allows for more, for more learning and for more like interconnectedness between communities. Yes. Yeah. And, um, in the run up to this, like, we were sharing um, references or, or things that mm-hmm. seem cool. And um, you shared with me Ray Kawakubo's, I want to pronounce that right, show mm-hmm. at the Met. Um, and I also shared um, Frederick Charleston balloon dresses mm-hmm. or dresses made out of balloons. Mm-hmm. And both of those designers, what they, what they do for me at least um, is really expand my imagination in terms of what is possible. Mm-hmm. I feel like fashion is such an expansive, um, expansive mm-hmm. form. And, and that's, yeah, I, I have been trying to think more about what does this do in creating? Cause in a way it's like creating, creating, um, not artifacts, but like things from the future. We might not be there mm-hmm. yet, but mm-hmm. in this world, even before it gets to um, the show and how different designers have like productions that um, are in themselves, mm-hmm. whole world, even the clothes itself are like um, aspirational and can be something that represents yeah. a, a potential different future. And 
especially when working with other artists like um, in the African Luxury podcast, you mentioned Orange Culture and Orange Culture there. I'm not sure it was them. They might have had an, a more recent season, but one of their most recent mm-hmm. seasons, they mm-hmm. collaborated with the Nigerian writer Elugosa Osunde, who is also queer and um, mm-hmm. had portraits of hers like on their like clothing and I mean, just even doing that, like being a Nigerian brand and also being a Nigerian brand that's hot mm. as well. So there's so many people wearing your clothes and it's like queer artists collaborating to make this. That in itself is like very world bending. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do, do you know of um, I Am a Seagull? Yes. The name sounds, the name is familiar. Yes. Um, so she, the, the creative director, um, Bubu, Bubu, is it August? I can't remember her last name, but her first name is Bubu and she's Nigerian. Um, and has been mm-hmm. using a lot of, um, raffia, raffia, like indigenous African textiles in her clothes, similar to how Kenneth Ize is using Adire. Um, and there's something mm-hmm. ab- about that as well. Both, you know, the designers who are, showing these like new futures and also designers who are looking back and changing the way that we think of beauty and the way that we think of, um, of fashion, because even though there has always been, or for not always, but there's been this long time culture of making your own clothes because you can't afford like imported clothes in these stores. They're, there hasn't always been that sense of um, pride or beauty behind it. It's just like, this is what we do. But then I'm seeing these designers who are not only, mm-hmm. not only doing that, but using these textiles and using these practices as not, not a default, but a choice and a choice that um, means something. So yeah, I guess that that's that's how I would that's how I'd be thinking about like world world building, especially hearing you talk about that. In our sort of pre pre conversation before this, you were talking about labels that you really admire, such as Chanel and um, also Virgil Abloh's work and Dior, and how mm-hmm. they create like whole worlds around their collections. If you could speak about mm-hmm. that some more, I think yeah. Um, I referenced Chanel's their haute couture shows, which are usually in Paris. Um, and Virgil's, I think it was the Louis Vuitton show, but specifically his first one. I think also Jacqueline is a good example. But I think they create worlds in the most literal sense. Like we talked about new worlds and futures before this, but I think in, in a very tangible and like a way that you can touch it and sit on it and like smell it, I think they their shows are also always crafted to to be it's it's not a show it's a place that you go to i think you don't you don't attend a chanel show you i think for me i've never been obviously but 
I think for what what I would describe it as being as is you you know you visit Chanel for a bit or you I don't know it always and I think designers who can do things like that um, and as much as Virgil Abloh is kind of like there's a weird love hate relationship in a lot of ways I think he has to be given his credit for being able to to do that in in all of the in all of the fields he works in whether it's fashion whether it's design yeah sorry people who i think people who do that are incredibly multi like well-rounded and multifaceted in a lot of ways to be able to not just think about fashion but think about where the fashion lives and why it why it should live in a place that's not just the regular everyday world and yeah, and why that's meaningful for people. I love, I love what you said about where the fashion lives and why, why, why it lives there. Um, mm-hmm. And especially like more recently, um, the writer Mandy Harris Williams has been talking a lot about glamour, the role of glamour, mm-hmm. and um, what it does, what it does for who we decide to, how we define beauty first and foremost, but also who we decide to glamorize and how, mm. and has been calling on fashion brands, fashion brands and um, makeup artists and just like, I guess, glamour, um, industries involved with glamour at this time and journal- mm-hmm. journalism to really highlight people who are doing um activist and educational work and mm. helping with it. And there is that, like, I forgot the exact statistic, but something to do with how people who are perceived as more attractive are also listened to more, which is problematic mm-hmm. in and of itself. And, um, yeah, but she, she talks about that mm-hmm. and also how, like, you know, the, the Black Panthers would always, before speeches also present a certain kind of way also had an aesthetic about them also um mm-hmm. knowing you're going to be on a public platform there is like um preparation that goes into that and i i've been thinking i've been thinking about that the both the 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 why that she talks about and also the the things that are underneath that like why it is that we equate mm-hmm. um such value to um, how does it we understand mm-hmm. beauty and and Pierre Moss specifically I think has been doing that for quite some time because in the I can't remember the the number but not the most recent the collection before this the campaign mm-hmm. videos featured like educators featured um, community people in communities doing doing work that they wanted to highlight that were in Pierre Moss mm-hmm. clothing. And that's so wild. Like I hadn't, I, I'm, I'm sure maybe you've seen more examples of that, but I, I hadn't seen that before. Like, you know, it, that it wasn't a model in the campaign video. It was a, mm-hmm. a, a, a teacher, a public school teacher in, I've forgotten which yeah. state. Um, and being like, yeah, these are the people who are, these are people who were aligning with, even though, you know, the, the clothes are still quite expensive, so it's not necessarily, like, in, in monetary, you know, alignment, mm-hmm. but more so, <laughs> like, cultural. <laughs> it's like, okay, you might not be able to afford it, but culturally, yeah, I'm aligning with you, and I'm 
trying to give you a platform. Do you know of other examples of brands who position themselves in that way? That's a good question because I think I'm thinking about it like not just by glamorizing, by putting them in your clothes, but I think I'm also thinking of, and I'm thinking specifically of, I think a recent issue of British Vogue, which like Edward and Info has done an incredible job of, of pivoting with, especially as the times change. But I think he shot, he, he did a, a shoot and all the covers were um, like first responders. They were nurses. They were people who worked um, male, male people. Male, yes. I don't want to say male men, but people who work with the post office and the postal service. Um, you know, people who are different in different service industries, essentially. And they, they were not in, uh, they were just in their regular uniforms. But I think th there's also glamorizing them in the sense that they can be glamorous in the places that they're in. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like they don't just need to be, they don't need to be transported into fashion to make glamorous. I guess another example is Telfar when he did the White Castle collaboration and he photographed White Castle workers in the, it was, he basically redesigned the White Castle uniforms, but he photographed them in their homes um, and with their families and, um, and some of them in the White Castle, um, you know, uh, White Castle stores. But I think glamorizing, like, I guess it's, it, it's, it, it just depends on how you want to do it. But those are, those are examples I can think of. And I think it is really important to, to continue to do that because I think people are also growing tired of, of seeing the same 10 models over and over again, you know, and, and as much as, Every time they do something new is presented as revolutionary. I think the people who are really doing revolutionary things are the people who are doing these things without the resources that models or celebrities are doing them, you know? Yes. Um, and I think just, just in the sense of, yeah, acknowledging, acknowledging everyone, even, yeah, even in their space, like they don't need to come into, like they don't need to be in a fashion magazine or they don't need to, to do to look a certain way to be appreciated, but to, to give them glamour and to, to allow them to know that glamour can exist in their own spaces. I think it's another, like it's a really important aspect. I really like that. And, and that's definitely true, especially, especially with, you know, the, the standards that are usually thought of when you think of a model. And so it's like, so this mm -hmm. is who is deserving of glamour. And this is who's having, mm -hmm. and this is what beauty is. Period. Um, mm -hmm. But really, like expanding that, being intentional about expanding that, and and it still it, it still exists with brands in terms of like the sizes that they they make. Mm -hmm. You know, still not. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah. You've made it very clear who you see as who's in your world. Um, yeah. And going back to world building, yes, it, with these small, like seemingly small decisions, like sizing and models, you're really communicating who exists in the world that you've made in this universe that you live in. This is who, mm -hmm. this is who you are speaking to our in conversation with. And I really like how, um, free the youth, um, the Ghanaian brand, um, oh, and yeah and um collective they are very intentional about pricing especially for where they are at now and have been really mm -hmm. gaining um 
recognition and expanding over the past year, you would think that their clothes would be, first of all, you, you'd think it would be in dollars and you mm-hmm. think that it would be, maybe it is now actually, I don't know, but more recently it wasn't. You think it would be in dollars and you think that it would be like hundreds. But um, last year I, I interviewed um, Joey for the creative director for um, a piece we were working on and um, he had mentioned really specifically wanting to stay at that price range that they were in mm. because their inspiration mm-hmm. was growing up in Tema and Tema, mm. Tema street like culture and um, rap parks, having rap battles in um, parks and different communities in, in Tema mm-hmm. and um, thinking of like African-American hip hop culture and, and, and looking at that and going to Cantamanto and thrifting, mm-hmm. um, thrifting fashion and so knowing that okay th- this is our inspiration also these are our f- this is our community yeah not wanting to then price out the very people who mm-hmm. inspired you in the first place and i i think about that is especially how fashion can be extractive can mm-hmm. learn a lot mm-hmm. from especially queer especially black people yeah. um but also not make any space for said people behind mm-hmm. the scenes or in like the in the the glamour as well of it. Yeah, I think, and I think you mentioned something that made me think of what the way fashion will help us to create new worlds is by helping us to create communities. I think, like again, I'm going to be a fan girl over Telfar, but I think he's like the 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 Telfar bag has been such a like a, an important example of how of, of how to be, becoming part of a, t- a community that has been created by someone who wants to continue to to maintain the community you know and I guess same thing with freely used like they have what they've grown up with and what what they felt was motivation to start their brand and they don't want to move away from that they want to continue to create the community and probably I'm sure to give back and to 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 um, um, produce for their community, so I think that's another way that fashion is going to be is going to continue. And I think people are also really tired of of like buying from big brands that don't really have anything to them and have anything that's interesting apart beyond their wanting to make money. They don't really have any you know personality. So I think people will start looking more at brands that they feel like cater to their communities and are meaningful within their communities. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are all these really exciting African designers who, and that's again going back to the podcast episode. It was really great listening to that and discovering new people as well who are creating these worlds. And I'm like, I, I guess I, I didn't know that I needed to feel seen in what I wore because also I haven't really experienced that before, but it's being able to experience it, you know, discovering, um, Sally Rabbi Kane's work in the podcast. You also mentioned, um, I don't know pronouncing the name, right. Um, Tebe, Tebe, Mag- mm-hmm. I think it's Tebe, but Tebe, yeah. Tebe Magugu. Yeah. Yes. And being like, wow. <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's just really 
beautiful to to witness um, and is making me pay attention more to the way that we dress um, and what it means and really want to get into the the research and the history behind it and seeing also seeing fashion as this like other because our history again going back to that doesn't really often make space for um wearable art or fashion mm-hmm. and there's always these there's always this very strict it's always been very strict and over the years we'll open up and allow something else to be considered art and, and now crafts now we'll consider crafts to be art or they're always these like gendered and race boxes that slowly open up um and i'm really starting to understand how pivotal it is to include um fashion in art history especially in an African context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, to round off, I um, love asking people to share a daydream that you have had recently, something that you've been daydreaming about. <laughs> I think the easy answer, because I'm always daydreaming about this, but the easy answer is fashion and kind of what I can see, like what what my style is. Because I get asked that question a lot. People will say, oh, what do you think your style is? And I don't really know how to put it into words. So I think that, but I think a more specific answer for recent times has been daydreaming about my apartment. Uh, I recently moved and it's my first more permanent feeling apartment. In the past, I've always lived in I lived in I lived in dorms for the first two years and then I lived in off campus housing but it was always like I knew I was gonna move at the end of the year or I was going abroad or and I knew I wasn't gonna live in this, the town where my school was. So this is the first place that I really feel like I could be here for multiple years and so deciding what to put in the space and I also have a an issue with hoarding and keeping things, so to what to <laughs> to keep from previous residences and, and having to be very selective because it's a smaller space. Um, but having to decide what means enough to me that I would like to, I want to talk to other people about it and hear, hear them enjoy it or see, see their reactions to it when they walk in. Like what kind of, you know, I love singing in the rain, but do I love it enough to put a poster on my wall? The answer is yes. But as like, <laughs> those are the kind of questions I'm <laughs> thinking about. Um, and yeah, what, like what, and interior design is also, I've realized it must be really hard. Having to just do my own room has made it, has made me realize it's, it's hard. It's more difficult than just picking furniture. So yeah, so that's what I've been thinking about a lot recently. Where I'm going to get posters. Do I source my furniture ethically? Do I try and get it on marketplace? Do I get it brand new? Does it depend what item of furniture it is? Mm. All that kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. That sounds so beautiful. And I'm wishing you, you know, clarity and also good luck Thank in you. finding finding the different things um, and people that will make your home feel right. Um, yeah. People is a really important one. Thank you. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you after listening? Oh, if you would like to find me after listening, I am on Instagram, and it's just my first and last names, um, Akira Kwakwa. I'm also on Twitter, 
I tweet mostly about. What do I tweet about? Oh, nothing really, nothing important. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe don't follow me there. But it's also my name. Um, yeah, I'm lucky I have a unique enough name that not many people have it. So check me out. <laughs> yes, and um, you can find me on Instagram at yathaplant. Also, um, at decolonize the our world. Also, uh, quick note: it's so exciting to see all like the decolonize our world stuff. I'm like I'm amazed. I'm I'm super excited to see everything. So thank you, yeah. thank you so much. Also, that reminded me. That reminded me of what I was gonna say, which <laughs> was that all the references that Apriya and I talked about are going to be in an arena channel. Um, where I will also be posting research on indigenous African fashion and sartorial histories. Um, so that will be, I'm not sure how this will be compiled, but that will be definitely in the bio of this podcast episode and also with as part of de- decorating dissidents and decolonize the our world's ongoing open source research project. All right, then. So, thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decorating Dissidents podcast. It was produced by Decorating Dissidents and supported by Queen Mary University of London's Center for Public Engagement. A special thank you to our featured guests. Leo Garbett is our sound editor and music producer. You can get in touch with us by emailing decoratingdissidents at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the show, please feel free to share it online and give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram.